Welcome to another Emerging Cricket Podcast Men's T20 World Cup Team Preview Special. Coming up, we discuss the Netherlands and their chances at the tournament. A reminder that we're still releasing the weekly show wherever you are listening to the pod, so don't miss those. And our content continues to roll on EmergingCricket.com. Finally, join the many who have joined us on Patreon. From as little as $2 a month, you can help us grow the game outside of traditional centres. For more, log on to Patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. But for now, enjoy another World Cup Team Preview. Welcome cricket fans to Emerging Cricket's T20 World Cup special series where we're previewing all the emerging teams at the upcoming tournament and today we're having a closer look at the Netherlands. Uh, Joining the show are two experts, first our Netherlands correspondent Rod Lyle, welcome back Rod. Hi Nick. And our special guest today is Rod's colleague over at tkcricket.com and a good friend of the EC team, Bertus de Jong. Good evening Bertus and thanks for finding time away from the, uh, the nocturnal charms of Andalusia to join us. (laughs) <laughs> morning Nick yeah pleasure to be on the pod as ever now we'll start with a quick run through of the draw and the Dutch are in group A which means they've got Ireland first up on the 18th of October at the Sheikh Zayed Stadium in Abu Dhabi then Namibia on the 20th in Abu Dhabi and their last game against Sri Lanka on the 22nd in Sharjah now, that's a, a tough week of cricket for them, and we can get into the difficulties of Group A a bit later on. But just zooming out a bit, the Dutch um, made it to the so-called first round uh, almost two years ago exactly, actually, with the um, 2019 Global Qualifiers, where they had a very strong campaign. Yes, that's right. They had one uh, glitch when they lost their game against Papua New Guinea, but they beat them in the final, and they beat everybody else they had to beat along the way. And it's essentially the same squad, with just one or two minor differences, essentially the same squad which they are taking to this tournament. Um, yeah, no, very similar squad. Just from Bake coming in, I think, uh, is, is a major addition. And, of course, the, the return of Myberg. Uh, yeah. I think that really, yeah, those are the two major points of difference in the in the teams that contested the qualifier and, and the team they've got uh, out in Dubai at the moment. And arguably both are strengthening of the squad as it was two years ago. Well, we can we can look at the squad in right now, actually, and they've got Peter Zeller as captain, Colin Ackerman as vice-captain, Philip Boisvain, Bastelader, Paul van Makeren, Ben Cooper, Max O'Dowd, Scott Edwards keeping, Ryan Tendeschater, Tim van der Huchten, Rulof van der Merwe, Brandon Glover, Fred Klaassen, Logan van Beek, Stefan Meiberg, uh, and the reserves, travelling reserves, are Toby Vise, the wicketkeeper, and Shane Snater. So... Looking at that squad, it's interesting that Ackerman is vice-captain. That's the first thing that stands out to me, despite the fact he rarely plays for the Netherlands. But yeah, as you guys mentioned, it's pretty stable compared with 2019. I, I think I think that's right. I guess that it's Ackerman's experience, both in South African cricket and county cricket, where he captains Leicestershire, which will have swayed Ryan Campbell's thinking on that. Whether he sees him as a as a future captain of the of the full side is another question. But as support for Sailor in this tournament, I'm sure he'll be extremely useful. Yeah, I think Ackerman was was already sort of part of the brain trust along with uh, Tendus Carter and uh, Sailor and Scott Edwards. I think you saw that already in the qualifier that conferences on the field. You'd see those guys uh, generally deep in discussion. 
whether or not you're going to see, I think the, the, the argument to VC thing was in large part um, due to the fitness worries around Peter Saylor and his, his you know, chronic back issues that he has. And it wasn't at one point there was a, a, a genuine doubt as to whether he would um, be able to play in the tournament. Whether uh, Ackerman has given his county commitments, I don't think that that's, he'd be a viable a long-term replacement for Saylor. Um, I think it's, it's very much just a, a supporting role, yeah. So, you know, looking... At their qualifying campaign, they they were very successful. But then, you know, very soon after that, we we got hit by uh, the the pandemic and associate cricket, especially, just ground to a halt. In the last couple of years, what have they been up to in terms of preparation and and other general cricket that the Dutch have been playing? The short answer is that this team, which is, as I said, it's it's, it's almost as close to a full strength Dutch um, side as, as we've seen, actually almost as long as I've been following the Netherlands, uh, barring uh, Rippen and yeah, possibly, um, you know, other uh, potential debutants who haven't made the side like like uh, Stubbs or, or the like. This is pretty close to a full strength Dutch um, side, but this team, uh, as it is, basically hasn't played together at all uh, since the qualifier. Uh, the closest we came was during the Ireland ODIs, when, of course, most of the batting contingent, uh, county contingent, uh, didn't make the trip. And the bowlers mostly did. The, the, the batsmen stayed at home, so the middle order wasn't there. Um, so uh, this side, this team, hasn't actually played together in any competitive cricket since that qualifier, which, and I'm sure we'll get onto this later in, in terms of prep, makes it all the, the more surprising uh, that they don't seem to have uh, really gone quite as hard as some of the other teams in the first round when it comes to organising uh, extra warm-up games. Yeah, that really puzzles me, I have to say, that everybody else seems to be playing pretty demanding warm-up games against each other, and the Dutch really are practising, but not playing. Yeah, it seems like what they've, they're, they're just out of the uh, hotel quarantine now, and they've, they've, got, they've, you know, they've got to the Emirates in good time, uh, but it seems like all they've managed to get lined up in advance of the, the two ICC organised warm-ups, which I think are lined up to be against Oman and Scotland, um, but yeah, up until those two ICC organised warm-up games, it seems like pretty much all they're going to be doing is is nets. Uh, there was some talk of uh, organising intra-squad games, uh, basically borrowing a few players that happened to be in the UAE from some of the former sides. Um, but that doesn't seem to uh, to have been worked out. And I think some of the pencilled-in games have also fallen through. And it looks like they've just got an extended net session coming up for the next week or so. It, I, I think it's bizarre. I'm not entirely convinced that it's an intentional choice. And there's there's been some speculation on Twitter that they're like, well, maybe they, you know, they're thinking, well, well, let the opposition have another look at your team. But it's it's not as if, I mean, there's some logic in that maybe with Sri Lanka, but then Sri Lanka aren't playing in this um, warm-up tournament anyway. Um, when it comes to Namibia and Ireland, Namibia and Ireland know the Dutch team pretty well already. And this Dutch team, I think more than anyone, uh, needs a match practice together because they, unlike uh, Namibia and Ireland, who who play together, who've played an awful lot of cricket together in the lead up to this tournament. The Dutch, as I say, that haven't with this squad, with a full strength squad, haven't played competitive cricket in in years. But I'm not convinced that this is an intentional strategic decision. I, I suspect that the plans have just have just fallen through here. Well, it's, it's kind of astonishing, really, isn't it, that you would be leading up to you know, one of the most important tournaments that your your team has on their on their calendar, and they're just nothing. It's um, <laughs> it is it is quite baffling. Um, but 
Yeah, looking at the, the makeup of the squad and the, the guys coming in and out, you know, who, who are some of the key players you see? Obviously, Tendiskata and the county crowd are, are going to be important, but you know, you mentioned Zaylar and, and the fact that his back is, is looking creaky. I think he's in, integral to the success of, of any Dutch team, but um, you know, is he going to hold up? Well, it's a good question, isn't it? He had a very broken top-classer season in the Netherlands where he was out for several weeks because of the back. Yeah, there's no doubt that both as an influence on the side as captain and with his contributions, both with the bat and the ball, it plays a vital role. And it, the balance of the team, I think, would be would be adversely affected were he not to be able to play. The feeling may be, well, there are three games a couple of days apart in the first phase or the, quali- the second qualifying tournament, depending on how you view the structure of the, the competition. And... We'll see how he goes getting through those. But it is something of a risk. It's a risk worth taking, no doubt, because of his imports in the side. But yes, I imagine they'll be nursing him as carefully as they can. I think I agree with I agree with Rod to an extent. I think it was it was very unlikely that, that they were ever going to live uh, leave Sailor at home. My understanding is that he's yeah, that he's playing with pain, but that as we've seen, I mean he's played through pain before and it, it doesn't affect his um performance in the way that it has done with other players. It doesn't seem to be that sort of injury. It just seems to be that he's, he suffers quite a lot with it. Uh, whether you say that uh, in terms of team balance, I, I think I, I do agree with Rod to an extent, but I, I'm not convinced that the Dutch were ever intending to rely on the on spin as the main match-winning uh, weapon for them in, in this tournament any more than they did in the qualifier. Well, no, I think that that's true. And it's interesting that neither of the travelling replacements is an obvious replacement for Sailor. One is an aggressive opening bat, typically, and the other another quick. So they haven't, as it were, included cover for him. And there is there is Boisevin with his leg spin as a possible spin bowler. There's Ackerman himself, the Swan de Merva with his darts. So, yeah, they're covered in that, in that area if they decide that the conditions favour spin. Yeah, as I say, I mean, Sailor has, and is, is for my money, still even uh, operating a, a, sort of through injury, is is still in the T20 format, probably the, the standout slow bowler for the Dutch. But yeah, as I say, I don't think that's what uh, Ryan Campbell certainly and the Dutch in general see as their main weapon. And that was more or less borne out uh, in the qualifier, uh, where although uh, Rudolf van der Merwe um, took a bunch of wickets, that the, the pace section... Uh, in general, is is what won them games. And looking at, and I guess we might get into conditions a bit more later on, but looking at how conditions have been in the UAE and in uh, Sharjah and Abu Dhabi in particular, even though the wickets have been slow and tough to score on, they haven't necessarily favoured spin bowlers um, over seamers. Certainly in the IPL that we've seen, that, that more far more wickets are falling to pace um, and the economy rates are comparable. So I'm not entirely on board with the, the general consensus that the spinners are going to are going to win it um, for anyone in this uh, pre-qualifying round. No, I think that's right. And it's undoubtedly the case that uh, the Dutch squad is well equipped with quick bowlers, especially with the return of Logan van Beek, who also strengthens the batting, of course, in the, in the lower order if you get that far in a T20. So, yeah, I mean, with five pace bowlers who generally speaking, demonstrated very clearly how strong they are and how effective they can be in very different conditions, admittedly, when the Dutch beat Ireland 2-1 in the Super League. It's a, it's a strong pace bowling unit, and it's likely to be, as Beta says, I think if I could be the Dutch trump card if they have one. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, Rod says uh, in, in very different conditions in uh, the, the Ireland ODI series, but I think that's different in degree. I think that you will see, or at least what we have seen in recent matches, we've had the benefit of, of being able to watch the IPL being played at these grounds and that Charger is not um, the batting paradise that it was. From what I understand, the square's been relayed and it has looked very slow. The, the outfield has, has always been slow, Charger, but the, the pitch itself has looked very slow with yeah. occasional balls sticking in the track and the like. And yeah, Rob mentioned Logan van Beek, and I'd, I'd like to say, yeah, Logan van Beek was one of the, the guys that I'd picked together with um, Tim van der Guchten, who has also become extremely effective in exactly these sort of conditions. And he's not the out-and-out quick that he was, but he's become a very canny bowler. Um, and the pair of them are batting down the order. And they do have this ability to, especially um, Tim van der Guchten, who strikes a very clean ball very far, they, they actually give the Dutch a sort of six-hitting ability on the order that they lacked a lot in T20s when you're not playing with the county side or when, when Tom Bake was still in New Zealand. That You saw that it was a very limited team in that um, they tended to be you know, more dealing in fours than in sixes, uh, which I don't think is a tactic that's likely to be um, as profitable on the tracks and the, in the conditions that we're going to find that we, we would expect to see. And you, know, you never know that what the the track looks like until the day, but the, the conditions that we expect to see in Abu Dhabi and Sharjah, I think will probably suit that. If, as Rod says, we do get down to the lower order, uh, which in a T20, yeah, you say, well, obviously, ideally you don't lose wickets, but the value of having a middle order, and the middle order is, is to my mind, very much the strength of the Dutch side, is the middle order is where the best batsmen in this Dutch side are, uh, and a lower order that can hit it. it, gives license to the openers to actually attack in the power play. And it's license that I hope they will be given um, because that is, I think, my major concern. And if you wanted to say about sort of weaknesses in the Dutch, this Dutch team, I think that's one of the key weaknesses is, is the risk of um, an overly conservative approach, especially in the power play on tracks like these. Yeah, that might be right. Although we know that both Max O'Dowd and Steph Meiberg love to go after the ball from ball one. So unless they are batting under orders to play as if it's a test match, uh, I imagine both of them will will go for it. And if one of them comes off, then obviously that gives the Dutch a great start in the in the power play. And then you've got Cooper to come, presumably, and Ackerman and Tenduskater. So the top five all look like batsmen who can score quickly in pretty much any conditions. Well, I think as I, I'd agree, and you've you've certainly seen that. Uh, these bets that certainly in Myberg and, and O'Dowd as usually have that ability but whether the, the track record is there I think that we have a habit of remembering the spectacular and forgetting the um, the best forgotten so everyone yeah remembers you know Silat in 2014 and then they tend to forget say what happened against Bangladesh at the 2016 World Cup where well, I think there was it was a power play in the mid 30s and Myberg I think made 29 of 29 and um, given the conditions and how that game played out, in the end, that's arguably put the Dutch right behind the game um, after the power play. And again, looking at how these these tracks are played, we, if you look at how the Dutch went in the qualifier, they were hitting, they were winning games off the back of, generally speaking, I think on average, after the first six overs, they were somewhere in the mid-30s, maybe the high 30s. And judging by how you know, recent scores on at Abu Dhabi and Sharjah have gone, that's not going to cut it in the first six overs. Because even though these have been really low-scoring games, you're, you're not seeing power play teams winning, having made under 50 runs, sorry, under 45 or 50 runs in the power play as a rule. Um, so if, you're, if you go into these games, I think, prioritising 
preserving wickets and, and building a platform, I think you're going to get you're going to end up stuck when the field spreads. And that's, I think, the major concern I would have is whether or not the Dutch can adjust their approach because they, they didn't have to take that aggressive approach and arguably you know, didn't have in the past the middle order to be able to take that, that aggressive approach in the power play. And they have that middle order now. And also, I think, given the conditions and given the opposition, I think it's necessary that they make that switch. And I'd be curious to see whether that is what happens. Well, just on the batting, and and you mentioned Myberg and his uh, 63 of 23 against Ireland in Sillet and some of his subsequent struggles. He's been out of the team for a little while, and and I've sort of got him penciled in as as one to watch because the Dutch have struggled a bit with that opening slot, and to you know they've rotated through a lot of guys in, in trying to find the answer. Do you think Myberg and his uh, you know late career renaissance can be the answer there, or or do you think they might struggle again up the top? I think we've seen, and just in the past couple of seasons in domestic cricket, that Steph Mybeck is entirely capable of filling that role. And I don't think that his ability to to strike the ball has actually diminished enormously. I think that what got him into trouble was um, in part conflicting instructions and in part a degree of confidence. And I think, I mean, if you look at his opening partner back in the past couple of World Cups, he had similar problems. Wes Barassi, who was, you know, I, I think Rudd will agree, arguably the most uh, gifted striker of the ball that, that we've seen in the Netherlands. Um, but ended up where the blame goes, um, partly perhaps like his own attitude, perhaps conflicting instructions and not really being used properly, but went entirely into his shell and ended up, you see, to sort of a plummeting strike rate at the top of the order where he was getting his team into trouble when when really he, he was a phenomenal asset. And I think that, that that is something that we saw to an extent happening with, with Myberg as well, with the way that the team has kind of shifted to an extent, and I don't want to over-egg this because, of course, every game is different and, and it's not as if there's an entirely sort of cookie-cutter by the numbers approach being taken by the Dutch to every game. But the, there's a general demeanour of the team has shifted from, you know, maybe five years ago that the default approach would be to be aggressive with the bat and defensive with the ball and that that's kind of drifted the other way now, that you'll see generally more attacking mindset with the ball where you're looking to take wickets early and put the opposition on the back foot rather than strangle them and try and get let them get themselves out. Um, and with the bat, it's very much a sort of building a platform, get us to something that we can defend and then back ourselves with the ball. And I think that, that Myberg struggled to fit in with that approach. And I think that hopefully that the fact that you've got a full strength middle order now and you've got hitters, down in the lower order means that Myberg can be liberated to play more of his natural game. And I, I, I agree what he had, and I, I haven't done as a key man as well, but key in terms of like, I think one of the things that the, the success or failure of this Dutch team uh, will hinge on, especially if they do make it to later stages, uh, is that if Myberg has a good tournament, they it's hard to see them doing badly. And if he has a bad tournament, it's hard to see them doing well. Yeah, I think that's, that's a neat way of putting it. Um, on Baresi, I think probably his greatest strengths were in the longer formats. I think he was a, a much better 50-over batsman than a 20-over batsman. But the other thing that I think is interesting as a broader point is the difference that's involved in stepping up from playing against associates to playing against full members, even weak full members in trouble, uh, as Sri Lanka seemed to be. It's a big ask. And one of the interesting things about this group, I think, is that in Ireland, who are now 
technically a full member. And in Namibia, we see sides who are much more demanding, much more challenging in the problems they present to their opponents than some of the teams that you play in associates tournaments. So that's even before you get to the tournament proper. So it'll be interesting to see how how they approach that. They do Although they have the disadvantage of not playing warm-up games, they do have the advantage of watching their opponents play warm-up games. Uh, And I'm sure a good deal of thinking will be going on about what those games reveal about optimal strategies for taking your opponents on. And it's interesting that they start off against Ireland, who, of all teams in world cricket, probably are the team the Dutch know best and, until recently, have tended to have an indifferent record against. <laughs> I guess taking a very long view of recently, <laughs> I think that the, the Dutch, given how intermittently associates and, and Lesnar full members play each other, I think the, the Dutch have a record of something like seven in, in the last 10 games against Ireland, which must surely go back seven or eight years at this point. It, it goes both ways there. I think that the Irish certainly used to have the wood over over the Dutch for a couple of decades. But um, in, in recent years, I think that Ireland would be as if not more nervous about taking on the Dutch than vice versa. I can only say that recently means something different to me from what it means to my young friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and and elsewhere on the batting, um, you know, we've just talked about Steph Meyerberg and and the top order, but looking down the line, obviously, Tendiskata, Ackerman, that's a strong middle order, but the guys like Bastelader... um, who who else is going to be filling in those slots down in, around the sort of five six area? Well, presumably Fondamerva comes in as an all rounder, but bat- batting at six or seven. And to be honest, it's hard to see where Bustelader fits into this squad or into the eleven. Let's say into the playing eleven. There are five pace bowlers all either quicker or more experienced than he is. And it may be that he's there as much for the experience as he is actually to be one of the playing 11. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. But certainly on, on Van der Merwe, who I think in, in the conditions especially was going to be a key bat for the Netherlands uh, as someone who can clear the ropes, uh, even when the ball isn't necessarily coming onto the bat. And, and then I know that Scott Edwards is seen or at least utilised Often in, in T20 as a finisher, he's, he ought really to be more of a floating role. I think in cer- circumstances even worth opening with with O'Dowd, we can see what they've done with VOC, how fast they can score from the off. Um, but yeah, then down the order, you, you've got this seam section where Logan van Beek and in T20s, at least Tim van der Hilton, you can, you can say are series all-rounders. I, I don't see where the room for, yeah, Buster Lady as a, as a seam all-rounder is hard to see where he would be used most. And like this Brandon Glover is somewhat out of form. And I think probably arguably the least suited to the, the decks that we're likely to see. Whether that that is now just something that you're seeing, sort of a variety that you've got, you know, Klaassen as the, as the lefty and, and Van der Fichten as, as you kind of experienced already. And then and that the Glover as a paceman is, is there just essentially for, for the sake of um, having options in terms of the balance of the bowling attack um, and to be able to adjust it. But yeah, I don't, I'd, I'd say where Barcelona comes in barring injury, it's hard to imagine you're going to see him coming in unless you, you either see an injury or it's a, it's a dead rubber. Um, the point about Edwards is an interesting one 
were it to be the case, and we obviously hope it isn't, but were it to be the case that Myberg were to have a poor start to the tournament, then Edwards opening with O'Dowd is an option, as Cooper opening with O'Dowd is an option. Cooper, like Myberg, obviously gives you the left-right combination if you think that's important in T20. But Edwards is versatile in that sense. He can be used in, in one of a number of roles. So that's useful cover. And if that happens, then obviously you're you're creating a space in the middle order, which Delater might, in certain circumstances, conceivably fill. Um, as far as the pace attack is concerned, I think we all agree that Van Beek and Van der Huchten are key elements in that. Klaassen, as Berta says, adds left arm variety and might well be the starting third bowler. He bowled extremely well uh, in the Super League series uh, against Ireland and has also been pretty successful in shorter formats in, in England. And so that gives you your three with, with no immediate room for Glover or Paul von Meekeren. And of course, the result, one of the consequences of this strong five-man pace unit uh, is that Viv Kingma is probably the unluckiest player in the Dutch setup not to have made the squad. He too, of course, has had injury problems this season, but also going back away as well. But he's when he's been fit, he's looked good. Although, to be fair, he also struggled along with almost all the other bowlers in Nepal earlier in the year when they were all lacking match practice. But I think you have to spare a thought for Kingma, who was even beaten to one of the travelling reserve positions by Shane Snatter. Yeah, that was that struck me as a very strange uh, call there as well. I mean, Snedd had a, a phenomenal season for, for Essex in everything apart from T20 cricket. And of course, you don't... You don't pick players on effort but the work that, that King has put into his T20 game um, he was always an excellent 50 over bowler but you've seen him really come along in leaps and bounds and we've seen him here at the, at the European T10 championships and he's he's bowling with variations and, and, and the question of fitness I think anyone who's seen him bowling this week you know he's back up in the you know mid 130s I think yeah but by a distance the unluckiest player uh, to have missed out and I think if there was any yeah I think if there's any Genuine selection questions where, where I think I'd, I'd have liked to make a change. I would have liked to see Viv Kigma in the side, or at the very least in the squad. You know, it is Paul Van Maken was bowling well in the CPL, and he gives you that extra height and bounce, and almost you want to have him in the squad just because you know that Paul Sterling doesn't want him in the squad. Um, but I think <laughs> yeah. in terms of uh, so over the course of the tournament, I think it's, a, it's hard to imagine that they're going to regret it given the strength of the seam attack. But I think that Viv Kingman would have been a very worthwhile addition to the to the, to the travelling squad. Well, we, we've talked a bit about some of the sort of potential strengths and weaknesses. You talked about the tracks maybe not being quite as suited to the fast bowlers as when they were playing in Dubai, where the, the decks were actually very pace-friendly and, and they got a lot of use out of them. Um, you know, maybe someone like a, a Brandon Glover is just a bit out of form. He, he looked kind of wayward against the Irish. But you know, looking at the games that they've got, it's a, a, it's a brutal group, really. It, it does seem unbalanced compared to, to the sides in Group A, but um, who do you see as the, the big matchups that they're going to have to be uh, you know, putting their heads together to try and get through? Well, I think in a, in a, in a four-team group, you've got a top three, and uh, that's all of them. Um, yeah. it's, it's a bit of a tough question. Obviously, it's, I think the key determinant, or at least for us, um, the Dutch will probably have a clearer idea of where they are ahead of the game. But I think for us as onlookers, I think you're going to get a clearest idea of um, where the Dutch are in this tournament 
right from the off in the first game. If they hit the ground running, then then all of our talk of them being undercooked and underprepared will look a bit silly in retrospect. And I think I you'd then expect them to continue on. Um, so I think the Ireland game is both competitively and, and psychologically is going to be very much setting the tone for the tournament. You, it's hard to see it coming down to them ending up with a must-win game against Sri Lanka. But I think Sharjah will, will, will suit them. I think that's actually probably where if the Dutch um, had the option to choose where to play Sri Lanka, I think they probably would have plumped for Sharjah over Abu Dhabi or possibly even um, Dubai. But I think when it, the, the Namibia, is, it's a hard one because the way that those two teams match up with the Dutch essentially forcing a degree of pace bowling, um, though I expect actually you may see uh, Flip Wasselbeng get a game against Namibia. But with Namibia, you just have to hope um, that you take wickets before they bat you out of the game, especially the way that they have been playing. Um, I think in that case, the Dutch just have to um, back their plans and, and, and roll the dice. Uh, I think but for me, yeah, the, the Ireland game is the standout. That's, is the one they just have to win. Yeah, to face the last two games, having lost the first, is obviously a huge disadvantage in a four-team group. And again, if they'd picked the order in which to play these sides, they might well have taken Ireland first and then Namibia and, and finishing with Sri Lanka. But it is, it's is—it's a brutal group, there is no question. And there is clearly something wrong with the seeding system which produces the two groups which we have. Well, I think that's probably a, a question of the rankings being pretty lopsided and uh, not fit for purpose. But we, we've talked about that enough in the past. Um, let's get to some predictions. Um, I'm going to be a bit contrarian first up and say I think that the Dutch might just miss out to Namibia. I, I like the Namibians. And yeah, they'll probably beat Ireland, but they, they might struggle against Sri Lanka and the, the Namibians I'm tipping to upset them. What can I say but three wins for the Netherlands? Uh-huh. It'll it'll be tough, uh, and they'll have to play at their absolute best in all three games and be very savvy about their strategy and tactics. But I think on their day, they're as good as any of these sides. We know that Sri Lanka have been going through difficult times, although they apparently see the Dutch as pedestrian opponents. <laughs> that, that, may, that may well work in the Netherlands' favour. As somebody said uh, on social media, Ryan Campbell's dressing room wall is already presumably papered with copies of Sri Lanka's opinion of the Dutch. If that doesn't get them going, nothing will. In defence of Mickey Arthur and, and the Sri Lanka team, that um, obnoxious piece of... <laughs> Uh, well, I'm not quite sure what to call it, um, but that obnoxious, that obnoxious article that appeared on Sri Lanka and was now, I should point out, also taken down from uh, Sri Lanka Korea website. I do not imagine that those sentiments necessarily originated from within the Sri Lanka camp. Oh, no, uh, absolutely not. No. And more to the point, I think that in terms of Sri Lanka underestimating their opponents, and I believe they, that the same piece did describe Namibia as a cakewalk. I think that- No, no, no. Nambia was a cakewalk. I'm sorry, Nambia, yes. <laughs> um, but as I say, I think if, if there is a risk to Sri Lanka of underestimating the quality of the sides they're facing, uh, then I think Namibia are probably the, the, the team that's best placed to benefit from that because they're the ones that get to play them twice, uh, first up. And one way or another, um, Namibia have, have got a very good chance of shocking Sri Lanka. Whether they walk away with a win is another question, but I think that they will surprise them. And I think that by by two games later, they may be a little warier of the Netherlands they might, than they would have been otherwise. Predictions? I mean, it's an absolute, it's a it's a crapshoot. Basically, anything could happen. Um, I hesitate to make any predictions, so I'm uh, because I've got absolutely no idea what's going to happen. Um, it's T20, it's three matches. I mean, come on. Um, I think that the Netherlands have got a very good chance. I think they should beat Ireland. I think 
that Namibia probably have the, the firepower to exploit uh, any mistakes the Dutch could make. But on balance, you should back them to beat Namibia two times out of three. Sri Lanka, I think, will be on their game by then. So that could go either way. You think that this Sri Lanka team do have the quality to get past the Netherlands. So I think it's I think it's a 2-1 record and they get through. And I think they'll be a very dangerous team when they do get through. But as I say, it's a crapshoot. Anything could happen. Well, gents, thanks a lot for joining me to chat about the Netherlands uh, prospects ahead of what promises to be a really exciting tournament and Again, a very unpredictable group. No one, uh, can, no one can pick it. We've, we've got EC with our um, prediction spreadsheet, and everyone's got different teams coming through that group. Uh, Bertus de Jong, thanks a lot for your time. Absolute pleasure as ever, Nick. And thanks again, as always, Rod. Always a pleasure. And I'll just give a quick plug for your website. Uh, when the top class cricket season is on, check out tkcricket.com, which has all the domestic Netherlands cricket news that you need. I'm sure there's an enormous amount of value in plugging TK Cricket in October, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, 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 we're about to release the team of the season. Well, there you go. Oh, so we are.